Good morning, once again. Uh, take your Bibles if you have them, and let's go to 1 Corinthians in your um, pew Bibles there. It's going to be page 658, I believe, for 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in um, three passages today, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and actually Matthew 7. We'll see if we can touch on that as well. 1 Corinthians 1, page 658. I'm, I'm hoping, uh, as Tad mentioned, that uh, the fathers, grandfathers, uh, uncles, guardians, brothers in the room have been blessed somehow or told by their loved ones, Happy Father's Day. Being a parent is difficult. I've got four of my five with me this morning, and um, uh, it's challenging to be, to be a parent. I was reading recently a story from a dad who wrote, uh, No one's more cautious than a first-time dad. After our daughter was big enough to ride on the back of my bicycle, I bought her a special carrier with a seatbelt and got her a little helmet. And the day of the first ride, I put her in the seat. I double-checked all the equipment, wheeled the bike to the end of the driveway, carefully looked both ways, and swinging my leg up over the crossbar, I kicked her right in the chin. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to be a parent, but I would argue this today, gang. I would argue that for most of us, the blessings of being a parent far outweigh the challenges. Um, and we looked at this last week by way of a reminder. If I want to soar in Jesus, I've come to know Jesus. God, I, 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 I bowed my knee at the cross. I want to know you more. And so I, I want my life to look like this. I want it to soar in the Lord. Last week, we, we, we set the foundation of if that's going to happen, the very first thing I need to do is accept the reality of this relationship I have with Jesus. And the right relationship is to receive the blessings, not come to God with what I have. Uh, this, this prayer, I'm sorry, I forgot your name already. Kent. It, Kent needs to come to my house and pray for my family like all the time. That was phenomenal. I appreciate that prayer, Kent, because what Kent did in one prayer, guys, is he gave the redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation, all in about two minutes. It, it, that was unbelievable. And it was, if I could say this, it was theologically like accurate. And guys, what Kent described there was God's, God's gift to you and me. The blessings that we have, as we said last week, should create in each one of us a desire to praise God. So last week we said, if I want to soar with Jesus, one of the things I need to do is just get used to praising God. And I just wanted to begin this morning with reminding us from yet another passage of the many blessings that you and I have as believers in Jesus. And can I just say this this morning? If, if you're being challenged by that, well, why should I become a Christian? What, what is up with all of these, these Christians and, and, and God seems to be putting in my path, you know, believers and they want me to come to church or they want me to... Can I just encourage you just as we go through these blessings, just consider exactly what Kent said. While we have nothing to bring to God, God says, regardless, and this is what's cool about God, guys, regardless of, of where you grew up, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, all of these blessings that I'm about to read are available for anyone who wants to come to the cross. Listen to this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Paul, and, and can, I, can I just true confessions here? Um, I've had this particular Bible since I became a Christian 31 years ago, but been through three bindings. 
So for, for birthdays or Father's Day or uh, Christmas or whatever, I don't ask for much. I ask for rebound Bibles. How weird is that? But, but it's been bound three times. And, and this is the New American Standard. And a couple weeks ago, Chuck said, you know, we read out of the you know, English version. So the English Standard Version is up here, which is great. You may hear a different couple, different you know, nuances, but just uh, my confessions. I tried it last week to read out of the Bible. And, and I, you know how you read a book over and over. You see things, you know, and so I'm just familiar with this. So bear with me here. But Paul says, Paul called in a, as an apostle of Jesus. Oh, so here's what you, you need to do. In these nine verses, your goal is this. Pick out the blessings. Okay? As we read this passage, I want you to identify what God has done for you, regardless of what you bring to the table, all the things God has given you. Okay? I've come up with eight-ish, because there's, a, there's a, eh, maybe nine, Let's see if we can identify those. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you, and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you catch the blessings in that passage? Often we read uh, a book, in this case the Bible, and we see the introduction, and we, we do a little bit of skimming. We do a little bit of, well, I just need to get through it to get to the real stuff. Don't miss what Paul starts with here, gang. I, I counted eight, but, but it, verse two, he says, you and I are sanctified. We are set apart, called to be different. Verse two, he says, we are saints by the calling God has called each of us to. Verse four, we were given grace, the grace of God which was given to you in Christ Jesus. Verse five, we were enriched in him. Not lacking, verse seven, in any gift, this is, again, this is the iffy one, verse 7. It says, we await eagerly the revelation of our Lord. But I think that's the hope that God puts in us when we become believers. And then look at verses 8 and 9. Because God wants to express his love to you and to me, he says, I am confirming you to the end. I've got a hold of you, and regardless of what life throws at you, I am going to see you through to the end. Uh, big, big theologians throughout the years have called that the perseverance of, of God's people. And then he also says in verse 8, I want to make you blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. And finally in verse 9, I have called you into fellowship with his son. If you are feeling lonely this morning, can I just encourage you? If you know Jesus, you have a friend in Jesus because God has called you and me into fellowship with his son. Now guys, that should invoke in us a response. In one chapter, in, in half of one chapter, if you will, 
eight or nine blessings that God gave to you, regardless of what you're bringing to him, God says, for every person that comes to know me, I want to give you these things because I love you. And, and that should invoke a response in us. Francis Chan, the great, great author, uh, wrote this book called Crazy Love. He said this, he said, I think it's up here, it's an insane statement to say that the internal creator of this universe is in love with me. That's an insane statement. If you think about our transgressions, the fact that we, we mull around in, in the muck of life, if you will, we, we continually get up and fight our sin nature, the fact that the God of all creation would care to love us, that's an insane statement to make, but I like what he says in the back half. There is a response that ought to take place in the life of believers, and that is a crazy reaction to that love. Is that my response? When I read a passage like this, when we sang these beautiful songs once again this week of how much God loves us, is our response to praise Him. So how do we do that? Let's just say, let's say you buy in right now. Let's say that you've read these blessings and you agree, yes, Greg, there should be a response on my part. Okay, so here you are. Show me, tell me, what is that response? Can I just very simplistically today give you two responses that I think God's asking from each of us. And the first is this, just know him. That's the first response. If you want to spend time praising God, can I just offer you this this morning? Just know God. Know him. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 now. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. That's a uh, page, well, I'll go one page over. How about that? 659. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What do I mean? Greg, what do you mean by that? Just know God. Of course I know God. Paul, this, this probably the greatest theologian of all times, I love his simplicity here, gang. He says this. He says, when I came to you, the church of Corinth, he says, when I came to you, brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I, listen to this. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Do you, you ever stop and think about how do we do 52 weeks of church year after year after year after year and never get bored with the gospel message? Do you, you ever think about that? How, how do we get together year after year and we hear beautiful prayers like this, we read scripture about the gospel, and, and for those who know Jesus, it never stops to, to bring us this sense of conviction and hope and joy. Why is that? Paul seemed to figure out, listen, I could, I could vomit wisdom on you. I was trained a rabbi. I know the law. I've memorized a great portion of the law. If you want to talk philosophy, I can do that. That's what my PhD is in. I mean, he could just go on and on. And rather, instead, he says this, I didn't want you to know anything else but this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You want to get together, like, you know, on a Tuesday night and chat over coffee about, you know, you want to wax eloquently about, you know, current events or, you know, the stock market or, you know, the speed of a camel, whatever he wanted to talk about. I don't know what he wanted to talk about. But when we get together and learn, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 18, I think verse 11, Paul says in the book of Acts, or, or Luke says in the book of Acts, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. A year and a half. So, so picture a year and a half, week after week, Paul visiting the church of Corinth and saying, 
Here's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Week after week after week. He never got tired of it. And then he says this, I love this. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. We often think of Paul as this great theologian who just you know, spoke boldly and, and, and commanded an audience, and yet he readily admits, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And then he says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. I didn't come with smoke and mirrors. I came with the power of the Spirit. But in demonstration of the Spirit and power, why, Paul? Why did you do that? Verse 5, here it is. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. If you want to grow in your walks with Jesus, folks, you need to know God. Well, Greg, I do know God. No, I mean know God. What do you mean by that? Well, think about this. Let's just use a little bit of, of logic here. All the stuff we just sang up here, this very last song, right, that's been around for a long, long time. Chris Tomlin added a little twist to it, but it's been around for a long, long time. Right? Amazing grace. Can I ask you this? How do you know about God's grace? How do you know about it? Because, well, because I've experienced God, Greg. No. That's not how you know about God's grace. Well, because we sing, we sing amazing grace. <laughs> That's how I know about God. No, guys, the reason you know about God's grace is because it says it in here. That's the only reason you know about God's grace. The only reason you know about these blessings of God that you want to spend your time praising God for is because God told you about these blessings. Think of it this way. If God never, through Paul, inspired him to write 1 Corinthians, guess what we wouldn't have? 1 Corinthians. And then I would spend my time getting up wondering, who is this God? But rather, God said, I'm going to write a love letter to you, and I'm going to give it to you in the form of writings, the canon, and you can spend the rest of your days as a believer meditating, massaging, salvating over, diving into this word of God. That if you want to know God, honestly, guys, you need to be in God's word. My 17-year-old, um, Caden, uh, he, he said Wednesday morning, he pulled me aside and said, hey, Dad, I've got a question for you. I said, yeah, Caden. He said, um, which is better? I thought, oh, gosh, here we go. Which is better, reading the Bible through a year, like, you know, those year studies, Genesis to Revelation, right? Reading the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, or camping out on a book or a passage, which is better? I said, yes and yes. <laughs> great value, great value. Those, those of you who've done read through the Bible in a, in a, in a year, great, great value in that, right? It's, it's Genesis to Revelation. God, I desire to know all of you. Uh, I'm surprised, gang, if I could just admit, if we did some research on the churches in the valley, churches in America for that matter, how many churches have spent time in the past year in the Old Testament? Um, to, we, we just seem to avoid it for some reason. It's complicated. It's, it's a lot of Jewish history. It's, you know, it's old. I, do, I, do I apply the law? Don't I? A lot of confusion there. I can't even pronounce half the names. You know, it's like, I don't know what to do here. So, so picking up the book of the Bible in January and saying, I'm going all the way through to Revelation, boy, that's admirable. So, so if, you, if you're doing that, keep doing it, right? We have so many tools today to help us do that. And then there's this idea, though, I said to him, but, comma, but, 
Uh, I'm doing a personal, uh, my wife and I, we, we try to get up most days and, and I've got my chair, she's got her couch and we, and we do Bible studies and, and so I'm in the Gospel of Mark and I, so I pulled out the Gospel of Mark and I showed him, showed him Mark chapter 8 and 9 and I said, answer me these questions. So I read passages out of Mark chapter 8 and 9 and I said, well, what do you think that means? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I don't know either. And so guys, the, 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 the challenge with reading the Bible day after day after day, is that we just want to check the box. We just want to click the box and say, I did it. But we don't understand what we're reading. And so, so can I just encourage yes and yes? I said, for me personally, when I read the Bible, I read it till I get stuck. Then I stop reading. And then guess what I do? Go find an answer so that I'm unstuck. Why? Because I know in a few months, a few years, I'm going to read the same passage again, and I don't want to be stuck again. I want to know what that means. So I, I'm at my computer, I'm in commentaries, I'm in, uh, you know, I, I, so, so whichever flavor kind of works for you, but the point is, either way, guess what that man or woman's doing? They're in God's Word. And I love that. I was asking Tad this week, uh, talk to me a little bit about the Church on Mill. Talk to me about, you know, this body of believers. How many are in, uh, how many are in groups outside of this meeting in terms of reading God's word and studying? And, and he said uh, around 85% of you are in some sort of a small group meeting, fellowship meeting, Bible study. Guys, that is way above average. So praise God for that. Uh, a bunch of people that want to study God's word. So the question, I guess, is now that we've established Okay, that's what I should do. Look at verse 5 again in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Where, if I want my faith to grow, Greg, how is it going to grow? Paul says it right here. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Where is the power of God going to come through? Reading his word. Can I, can I just give you, I guess, three approaches to reading God's word this morning? Three approaches maybe that might help you out. First approach is this. You need to approach God's word. If you're going to do this, you need to approach it with joy. Approach God's word with joy. I've got verses uh, up on the screen here. Um, look at these verses from David. Oh, how I love your law. I will meditate on it day and night. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I just got to wonder, guys, is that my attitude when I read the Bible? I mean, do, do I delight in God's word? So I guess I just need to compare it to what, what other things do I delight in? And does it invoke that same kind of approach when I read God's word? Yes, it's confusing. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, it, does, it demands my intellectual attention. Yes, and do I just love in being in God's Word? I hope that, that, is, that, that that's one of the ways I approach God's Word is with joy. God, what will you teach me today? Why do I say that? Because the Bible says God's Word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. What? How can, how can this be living and active? I teach at, at a Christian high school. Do you know what one of, the, one of the biggest complaints we get from students and parents? You have to take four years of Bible at the school I teach at. Four years, mandatory Bible. 
and then you go to your other classes. You know, one of the biggest complaints I get as the chair of the Bible department, why do you have to make the Bible like a textbook? But like, my kids got homework in the Bible? Like, I can't even understand that, right? I mean, that's kind of like, I get this feel of, my child is not about to approach God's word as a textbook. Because I view textbooks as painful. I view textbooks as something I don't want to do. And now you're making God's word part of that, that genre. And I say back to them, gosh, I, I def desperately want to help your child get to the point of saying what I just said, which is massaging God's word, understanding God's word, being challenged by it. But I need him or her to have that heart of, I actually want to do this. Here, here's when you'll never want to do it, guys. You'll never want to do it if you don't honestly believe that God's word and by reading his word will change your life. If you don't believe that God's word will change your life, you will never, I will never get to the point where David said, I delight in your word. See, what he believed is if I read the law, I'm going to be a changed person. I'm not doing this just for intellectual knowledge. I'm not just doing this so I can show up at a study and, and uh, you know, wax eloquently. I'm doing this because I want my life to be changed. But if you don't believe that God's word is living and active, then you'll never have joy in reading his word. And then it will become a textbook. It'll become mundane and it'll just become rote. I want you to feel that joy of experiencing God and his word by way of it changing your life. The second approach is this. You need to approach God's word, not just with joy, but why am I reading your word, God? Because I am I'm influential with other people. I approach it with others in mind. Uh, I think the next slide has Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the Shema, right? This, is, uh, this was said back in, um, this is page 103 in your Bibles. Um, last week, we had parents up here dedicating this exact passage to their children. It's a, it's a very um, famous passage, if you will. Jewish uh, men and women would read this twice a day, in the morning and the evening, to their, to their families. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and talk of them when you sit up, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them on as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on your doorposts and on your house of your gates. That's the Shema. Did you, do you know that today, I think the next slide shows, there are faithful Jew, Orthodox Jews. These are called tefillin or phylacteries. You see what's on his head? There's pieces, literally pieces of the Torah. The first five books of the Old Testament. Orthodox Jews will take these prayer shawls and they will wrap the word of God, literally because of Deuteronomy 6, around their forearms in these little boxes and on their foreheads. I think the next slide shows a younger person as well. He's in Israel right there. Um, when I first saw that slide, it, it looks a little daunting. It looks a little scary. Like, what's going on here? And that's the beauty of it. He just wants to be spiritual. He wants to be religious. Basically, what he said was, I just read Deuteronomy 6, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that literally. So uh, if you go to an Orthodox Jewish family's house, on the outside of their house, 
you may see a little box pasted or, or tacked right on the front of their door. And inside that little box, it looks like a little jewelry box, it has pieces of the, the Torah. Because they read Deuteronomy 6 and they took it literally. Now, I'm not suggesting you and I have to do that, but I want to get to the heart of this, which is, do you teach your children diligently? And dads, for Father's Day, can I just kind of get alongside of you this morning? For all the things you'll get today by way of congrats and maybe a few gifts and whatnot, is your response back to your children, I'm going to follow the Word of God. And if the Word of God tells me to teach my children diligently the law, the Word of God, I will do that. Now the question is just simply this. How do you teach someone diligently something you don't know? Ouch. Uh, well, I'm just going to take them to church. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate that, but that's not what the, the Bible says. In fact, the next slide, Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up how? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Who's responsible for teaching our kids the Word of God? In this passage, we have parents, but specifically dads. Well, dads, can, you know, if you don't know the instruction of the Lord, how would you ever do that? The last person on this planet my kids are going to ask about physics as me. The very last. My kids will, like, like you know, we're all, you know, in the dark because we can't turn the light on because we can't figure out the light switch. The last person they're going to is me to figure out the light switch. Like, I can't, I'm not that kind of a guy. So if the instructions were, hey, your kid needs to be an electrical engineer, spend time diligently teaching your kids the ins and outs of electricity and, you know, conduits and all that kind of stuff, my family loses, <laughs> like, like, I don't get high marks for that. The Bible says clearly, guys, look, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects of him. Well, what is the truth? It's not the wisdom of men. It's not your thoughts. It's the word of God. How should we talk to one another as believers? In the word of God. That's our baseline. That's our final authority. Let the word of Christ dwell in you how? Richly is do you know God with others in mind? So, so I, you know what, Greg, I, I hear you, but I'm not sure if I want to do this. Okay, if you're not going to do it for yourself, which you should, could you do it because you have a circle of influence and they need to be influenced by you through the Word of God? Do it with joy. Approach the Word of God with others in mind. And here's the final one, and this one gets a little, you know, a little challenging. Do it with diligence. Approach the Word of God with diligence. Look back at these verses we just looked at in Psalms. How did David approach God's Word? He did what day and night? Meditated. He, guys, he, he got it in his head and then he just dwelled on it. Day and night. Anybody ever study for a final exam like pull an all-nighter? It's, believe me, it's not fun. And so, and so, what I did, though, was uh, more than once, I put information in so I could just regurgitate it the very next day, and then guess what happened the day after that? <laughs> That's not meditating on God's Word day and night, guys. I don't know if you do Awanas here. I love Awanas. Um, sword drills, anybody remember those? Little kids would come up and, you know, get verses, and they're just, you know, getting verses, and I love that. I love that. I want us to meditate on God's Word day and night, which means that when I'm driving down the street, I'm thinking about God's Word. When I'm in a business meeting, 
I'm considering how does God's word approach this. When I'm talking to neighbors, I'm considering how does God words, God's, God's word approach this. You know what I tell my students? Uh, can I be honest with you guys? I tell my students this because we do prayer requests in my, uh, in my classes. Hey, what can I pray for today? Hey, Tonk. Uh, they call me Tonk. Hey, Tonk, pray for me. Um, I need an A on my chem test. Okay, fine. Yeah, how much did you study? Oh, I didn't study. So, I'm, I, you know, just pray God would give me an A. Guess what? I, I, in 10 years at Valley Christian High School, I've never prayed for someone who's never studied to get an A. I mean, consider this. I know why they're doing it, right? I mean, we've done it, right? But, but consider the audacity of that prayer request. I've put nothing in, and I want you to give me everything. You're the, you're the, you're the cosmic gumball machine, and I, and I put nothing in. I didn't even pay for this. I just want you to give me. And guys, God doesn't work like that. The reason that you have passages come to your mind, have you ever been in a conversation, a passage comes to your mind? Have you ever been in a situation, sticky situation, passage comes to your mind? Have you ever been needing something, healing, uh, financial delivery, and a passage comes to your mind? Do you know why it came to your mind? Because at some point prior to that, you put it in your mind. The Holy Spirit, guys, is not a, he's not a genie. He doesn't just grant you, like, Oh my gosh, I was thinking of this passage the other day. Why were you thinking about it? I don't, I've never read that passage before. That doesn't happen, gang. It, that's not who God is. God says, do what David did. Delight in his law. How am I going to delight in it? Meditating on it. How am I going to meditate on it? I'm going to open God's word. Can I just give you just a few examples, maybe for encouragement? You may have heard of some of these people. Uh, Matthew Henry, he wrote this commentary. A lot of, a lot of people today use it. He, he lived in the 1600s, 1700s but he wrote a commentary that people today still use. Matthew Henry, um, at the age of three, was reading the Bible. By nine, he was competent in Latin and Greek. As an adult, he was up studying the Bible by five in the morning, would have breakfast with, the with his family, and then returned to studying until noon. And then late at night, he would put in a few more hours of studying before going to bed. Jonathan Edwards, um, probably one of the greatest thinkers America's ever produced, Jonathan Edwards, um, at an early age, he learned Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. He prayed five times a day. Uh, with some of his friends, while he was a young man, he set up a prayer booth in a nearby swamp where they would gather to pray and discuss spiritual matters. Like, I was playing fort and army, you know, and stuff, and this guy's like in a swamp with a prayer booth. Um, he was, he, and, and so lest you think, well, these guys have nothing else to do but do that. He was the father of 11 children. And he would spend at least an hour, I'm, I'm, my kids need to shut their ears with this, he, he would spend at least an hour with them before they went to bed. Every night. So lest we think these guys have nothing else to do but study the Word of God, 11 kids. Um, George Whitfield, probably the greatest producer, uh, preacher England ever produced. He preached more than 18,000 sermons. Founder of the Methodist Church. He was up at 4 a.m. every day. George Whitfield, guys, had a, had a lifelong practice of reading God's Word on his knees and studying the Bible out of the Greek. And guess what one, of, what, what one of Whitfield's greatest treasures was? Matthew Henry's commentary. See, see that's how this works, guys. Diligence pays off. It, it blesses other people. Uh, Fanny Crosby, many of you know, um, uh, Blessed Assurance, the hymn, um, To God Be the Glory, All My Way, My Say. She wrote those. Fanny Crosby, at six weeks old, a doctor's carelessness left her permanently blind. When she was six weeks old, she, she became permanently blind. But that did not stop her 
from reciting, memorizing the first four books of the Old Testament and the first four Gospels, the only four Gospels, by the time she was 10. Fanny, um, Leviticus 20, verse 2, boom, done. Fanny, Mark 10, verse 2, boom, done. At 10. Francis Rig uh, Ridley Havergal, uh, she wrote, Take My Life and Let It Be, I Gave My Life for Thee. She was reading the Bible by the time she was four. Guys, she knew Greek, Hebrew, Latin, German, French, and Italian. She memorized all the Gospels, the book of Isaiah, the Minor Prophets, and the book of Revelation. And so I just say that, guys, because when I sing, Take My Life and Let It Be, beautiful hymn, I just kind of think sometimes, well, someone had a, you know, a free couple moments, they just put that down on paper. And that's just not the way it works. That's just an outpouring of her dedication to the Word of God. And then finally, H.A. Ironside. Uh, he was the famous pastor of Moody Bible College in Chicago. Great Bible college out there in the Midwest. He began to memorize the scriptures when he was three. By the age of 14, he had read through the Bible 14 times. And during the rest of his life, he would read through the Bible at least once a year. When asked at a conference what he read for his devotion that morning, Ironside responded, I read the book of Isaiah. Yeah, I, 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 what chapter? No, I mean, I read the whole book. It's like, what is it, like 53 chapters in the book of Isaiah? He read the whole book, guys. So, Greg, these are 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th century people. You're right. So I guess this next slide might be, who, who's next? Who's next where, where 20, 30 years someone will do a message and they'll put up people? Maybe your name will be up there. And if you're like me, you probably respond with, there's no way I can do that um, because we're all busy. But guys, that's the work of the devil. The work of the devil isn't to just hit us over the head. It's just to busy our lives so that we justify not doing it. David approaches this with diligence. I meditate on your word day and night, God, and that's why I love your law. And we approach it, I approach it with, I'd like to do that, sounds admirable, maybe tomorrow. Last year, I read about these people and I said, God, I'm going to try this. One hour a day, studying, prep, memorizing with you, you know, I'm going to do it. One hour a day. And then do you know what happened? The minute I said that, a target gets on my back from the devil. And I didn't even know it. Uh, in June, I, we, we went to 14 different states in a minivan, tried studying the Bible when you're doing that um, with seven people. Uh, I got home from that trip, and I walked into my house. It was flooded, and that meant that my family of seven plus two dogs had to live in a hotel for three months. Try studying the Bible during that, you know, having that. And then during that time, I had to go to the ER because I had diverticulitis, and I got, you know, di I mean, it was just a nightmare. All because, I'm convinced, all because I said to God, I want to do more for you. Satan doesn't appreciate that, guys. So he will do everything in his power not to crucify you per se, but just to busy your life. So if you desire to do this, there will be challenges ahead, but I can, can I just promise you it is well worth it. Here's the catch, though. I'm not sure that knowing God's word is all that matters. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 real quick, real quick. I'm not sure that knowing God's word is all that matters. Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse um, 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 21. I know that listening to God's word, I need to know him, but can I just give you the second point real quickly today, and that is I need to show him. I need to know him, but I need to show him. Um, I just casually yesterday 
Can I, can I just show you this? How many of you have Bibles in your homes? Um, more than one. Um, I, I went to my bookshelf, okay? I've got all kinds, right? I've got, I've got a New Believer's Bible. I've been a believer for over 30 years. I have a New Believer's Bible. Um, Keyword Bible. I've got the Everyday Bible. Ooh, Extreme Journey Bible. That's kind of cool. Um, New Living Translation. I've got the Story Bible. I've got, uh, I've got my grandfather's old Bible. We have Study Bibles. I've got the Wide Margin Bible, because, you know, in case you need a wide margin, I guess. Um, I've got the Life, Word, and Life Bible. How about this one? I've got the Archaeological Study Bible. That's fascinating stuff. That's 11, I think I count. i got 11 Bibles in my house. That's not even my, the one of my favorite, right? My favorite's up here. These are just sitting on my shelf. And, of course, oh, my goodness, I got this. This has four Bibles on it, plus the U version, which has, what, 76,000 Bibles on it? Well, yeah, kind of, but, you know, hey, thanks for having all these Bibles, Greg. And so if listening to the Word of God were important, I, I win, guys. But, but, but do you know this, and just to prove the point, um, not to be completely sacrilegious here, but do you know the, the, the most popular book like on the planet right now, the Harry Potter series, right? You know how many, bio, how many books the Harry Potter series has sold? Anybody care to take a guess? F 450 million. 450 million copies of one of these seven books. You, show me a person on the planet who doesn't know about the Harry Potter series, right? Do you know how many Bibles have been sold in the past 200 years? Five billion. In other words, guys, my point is this. I don't think hearing God's word's the issue. We hear God's word all the time. On the radio, on podcasts, any number of ways. Most of us have more than one Bible in our house. That's not the issue. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the Pharisees, by the way, there. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles, and then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, watch this, everyone who hears these words of mine, and we just talked about that, knowing God's important, and acts upon them, may be like a wise man compared, uh, may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, burst against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, floods came, the winds blew, burst against his house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You have two men here, and what is the only difference between the two people? Do they both experience struggles in life? Yes. Do they both experience calamity? Yes. Do they both... What, the only difference, and, here, and here's what a lot of people miss, guys. Do they both hear the word of God? Yes. There's only one difference. One showed God. The other just heard about God. That's the difference. If you want to soar in your walk with Jesus, you need to know him. One of the many Bible studies offered here at Church of Mill, you need to find yourself in one of them. 
You need to make a deal with God to get up early or stay up late or lunchtime or whenever to get in this. That's, the, that's key. But guys, if it doesn't translate into showing him, then all you're doing is hearing about him. And what does the Bible say in the book of James? The demons believe, but they shudder. The demons know about God. They just don't live out the word of God. God is looking for men and women in today's society, guys, to know him and know him faithfully. But he's also looking for men and women who will just step out and say, the reason I am kind, the reason I'm merciful, the reason I don't lie, the reason that I, I don't cheat on my wife, the reason that I uh, don't cheat on exams, the reason that I do these things is because I read in here somewhere that that's what I was supposed to do, and I don't know any better than to not do that. So I'm just going to do what the Bible tells me to do. B-I-B-L-B, right? Yeah, I think I spelled that right. Stand alone on the word of God. So I want us today to think about this. You can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips. Let's pray.